3: We're going to discuss the lack of distribution for the NFL Network and the fact that only about 35 million people were able to see Thursday's Packers versus Cowboys NFC showdown. We're also going to talk about the announcer pairings for the BCS College Football Bowl games on Fox and give you our thoughts on those pairings. In segment four, Sports Sense, a tragic week in the NFL where Washington Redskins star Sean Taylor was shot and killed when his Florida home was burglarized early Monday morning. How will Taylor's death impact the Redskins in the NFL? And how will pro athletes and celebrities change the way they protect their homes after this tragedy? We'll discuss this in segment four of today's show with Yahoo Sports NFL reporter Charles Robinson. A couple of other notes, visit my sports business blog at sportsbusinessradio.com visit our new interviews page on our website featuring some of our best guest interviews. That's at sportsbusinessradio.com slash interviews. Nathan Roach, uh,
1: how was your Thanksgiving? The turkey day was wonderful. The only thing missing was I used to play tackle football with my uh, relatives. I think they've all gotten too old for that now. You know, a tragic
3: week in the NFL. You know, it's just been a nightmare of a year for the league, January 1st. 2007, Darren Williams, Denver Broncos player, shot and killed in a drive-by after celebrating New Year's. Four players under the age of 24 have died in the NFL, topped off by Sean Taylor's death this week. You know, if you're Roger Goodell with all the indiscretions with Michael Vick and Pac-Man Jones
1: and Tank Johnson, you're going to be pretty happy when the calendar flips to 2008 because it's been a bad year. It's been just such a rough year, and it's really sad that Sean Taylor, I mean, he was starting to clean up his life, according to all of his friends. He'd been with the rough crowd for a while and trying to break free of that, and of course this happened, so very tragic.
3: Well, the one thing I will say is I do not buy for a second that this was a random act of violence. I don't think... That some, you know, it you can't convince me that Sean Taylor had his house robbed twice in the span of eight days. You know, the police are saying otherwise, but we will see how this plays out. Whatever you can say, it is a very tragic situation for Sean Taylor and his family and the NFL and the Washington Redskins. Lots of headlines coming up. A few coaches may be changing places, and one of them has a big, big dollar contract. We'll tell you about that. You're listening to Sports Business. This is Brian Berger from Sports Business Radio. I know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin. To me, it's an easy call. Go where sports business education got its start, at the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. As the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs, Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit SportsBusinessRadio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education.
2: This is Sports Business Radio.
3: It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline. Sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit WarsawCenter.com for more information. Headline number one. Washington Redskins star Sean Taylor was shot and killed earlier this week when his Florida home was burglarized. We're going to discuss this topic in much greater detail in our next two segments. Headline number two, Los Angeles Angels owner Artie Moreno said earlier this week that the Mitchell Report, which is an independent report on the use of performance enhancement drugs in Major League Baseball and is due for release sometime before Christmas, will include the names of players. Nathan, you know, this has been discussed for a while now, but it looks like finally, sometime in the next few weeks, we are going to have some tangible evidence as
1: to who the players are that have been using performance enhancement drugs. Well, yeah, and like he says here, he says that people are going to be upset by this. They're going to be surprised. There's going to be names on there that people are not expecting. I'm wondering, however, if this blow was lessened because Barry Bonds was just indicted, you know, just a couple weeks ago.
3: I still think there are going to be some bigger names on that list. Barry Bonds is obviously the big fish for the feds, but I think there are going to be some big names on that list. I don't want to... Uh, jump to conclusions. I don't want to jump to conclusions, but uh, read the blog. Maybe I'll throw a few names out there, sportsbusinessradio.com. But uh, I think all of us will be anxiously awaiting that report. Our next headline, a sad note, Dr. Robert Cade, who invented the sports drink Gatorade and launched a multi-billion dollar industry that the beverage continues to dominate, died Tuesday of kidney failure He was 80. Now, Cade and other researchers created Gatorade in 1965 to help the University of Florida football players
1: replace carbohydrates and electrolytes lost through sweat while playing in swamp-like heat, Nathan. Well, yeah, and it's now sold in 80 countries, 50 different flavors, and Gatorade was born using Cade's Research, and this is very Phil Knight-esque. He had about 43 bucks in supplies. Phil Knight was obviously selling Nikes out of the back of his car, and Gatorade, this is what's incredible to me, Gatorade holds about 81% of the $7.5 billion a year sports drink. I mean, they just dominated more so than anything else in sports. Yeah,
3: and not only in sports, but you look at market share show me another company that has 81% of the market share in their industry. I can't think of anyone, you know, maybe Apple with the iPod for the, the MP3 player crowd, but that's about the only other example I can think of. Our next headline, a full World Series share was worth about $308,000 for the Boston Red Sox. Boston split of the postseason players pool was $18.8 million. The Red Sox voted 47 full shares 14
1: partial shares and 11 cash awards. What about Colorado? Well, Colorado has about $233,500. And uh, I, I'm so happy that they awarded a full share to Michael uh, to Mike Kulbaugh's family. Obviously, the Rockies uh, minor league coach that got hit and killed by a foul ball this year. I think that's fantastic. That's why I was rooting for him in the postseason.
3: Now, the D-backs and Indians who lost in the division league championship series, uh, they didn't do too badly either. The D-backs players... Took home about $130,000 a player, and the Indians players took home about $107,000 a player. Now, the pool dropped uh, to $52 million from the record $55 million last year, and Nathan, that's mainly because. Fenway Park is a small ballpark. It's not as big as St. Louis and Detroit last year. So when you have a small ballpark, you don't have as many tickets to sell. The pool is a little bit smaller. Well,
1: yeah. And, you know, this is why the argument is, do you build a bigger ballpark or do you keep the historic park like Fenway, Yankee Stadium, obviously building a new park for that reason some hold, uh, so it can hold more uh, ticket holders?
3: Our next headline, news out of Los Angeles, USC threatening to move its home games to the Rose Bowl. And... Uh, the mayor there in Los Angeles says the Coliseum will not play home to an NFL team. And basically, if they lose USC, they're fearful that the Coliseum is going to become a, a white elephant. They need to make a deal. If USC ends up going to the Rose Bowl, it's a bad deal for everyone. The students who can walk right across the street from the campus now to go to games, the Coliseum would have to get in their cars and drive to Pasadena.
1: But as far as the Coliseum's concerned, they'll basically be out of business. Well, that's too bad because the Coliseum is one of those meccas of college football. You know, it's a beautiful stadium, a little outdated. They're asking for it to be revamped. But, uh, you know, the Rose Bowl is synonymous with UCLA. I can't see USC playing there.
3: Well, the Coliseum is the only venue in America that's hosted a World Series, a Super Bowl, and a football national championship. So, like you said, it's got a lot of history. We'll have to see how that works out. I have a feeling they'll get something done. Our next headline, Lakers coach Phil Jackson reports have him agreeing to a two-year contract extension worth about $24 million, putting him under contract through the 2009-2010 season. The 62-year-old Jackson signed a five-year, $30 million contract with the Lakers in June of 1999. And Nathan, he's won nine championships. He's tied with Red Arbach, but now he is the highest paid coach in NBA history at $12 million a year. You know, this really
1: surprises me. Where have the Lakers been the last couple seasons? You know, he hasn't done anything yet to earn this type of money. I think Torrey was more justified in getting a larger pay sum than Jackson right now. It's been a couple years since he's taken them all the way.
3: True, but in... Los Angeles they want a coach who has a big name Rudy Tomjanovich was there for a little bit and it just didn't work out in Los Angeles where you've got season ticket holders paying big bucks they also want a coach with a big name a Pat Riley or a Phil Jackson in this case our last headline of the week our producer Bobby Corser is interested in this one LSU has granted the University of Michigan permission to speak with Tigers head football coach Les Miles about becoming the next coach of the Wolverines Miles played for Bo Schembechler at Michigan, where he met his wife and later became an assistant under Schembechler. He will meet with Michigan representatives this upcoming week. Now if Miles does leave,
1: how much does he have to pay? Uh, If Miles leaves, he's going to pay $1.2 million. LSU obviously has an opportunity to offer him more money, but if he takes off, $1.25 gone.
3: Yeah, it's interesting because when Miles signed his deal with LSU, he had a clause in there that said he could leave to go anywhere except Michigan and if he went to Michigan 1.25 million was the price. Coming up next we're going to talk to Michael Heastan. He's the Sports TV columnist for USA today. Lots of debate this week about the fact that only a few million people could see the NFL's Green Bay Packers Dallas Cowboys game on the NFL network. You're listening to Sports Business Radio we'll be right back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com. The
3: website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Michael Heestand. He's the sports TV columnist for USA Today. You can read him at usatoday.com. Michael, thanks for taking time this week.
0: Oh, you're very welcome.
3: So let's start by talking about Thursday night's big NFC showdown between the Green Bay Packers and the Dallas Cowboys. The game was shown on the NFL network. That network is only seen by about 40% of the people in this country. Obviously, a big battle over distribution right now. Give me your thoughts on this battle, and is it going to get solved eventually? Uh, maybe you can tell us about both sides of the coin.
0: Well, the one upside for the NFL network is now, I'm sure there are a lot of people who didn't even know they had the NFL network, and as they looked around for the game, discovered they did. But that's about the only upside, um, you know, I, to my mind, it was just that rare case where the NFL lost a TV battle. Basically, what they what they did was a couple of years ago when they were doing new TV contracts, they could have gotten, say, around $400 million from Comcast, the, uh, America's biggest cable operator, for this package of Saturday night and Thursday night games in the late season. But they turned that down saying, well, you know, Let's start our own cable network as a business for the future. And so people said, "Were well, you guys going to put games on?" "No, no, no. We won't do that." Well, they are charging a relatively high price for cable operators to carry it. Higher than a lot of established
3: channels. Which is about 70 cents per subscriber, from what yeah. I hear.
0: and you know that's that's significantly more than people pay for things like CNN or CNBC or you know various channels that have been around. So they said, "Okay, we're going to we're going to take these." these eight games, and they uh, assumed cable operators would have to have them. Well, the the sort of flaw in their strategy is they still allow the games to be over the air in home markets, in other words, on Green Bay and Dallas. It had to be shown to everybody whether or not you got the NFL network, and that's obviously the, the points of most interest. And if they lifted that, if they refused to show it to the hometown fans, they would probably get in trouble politically. They'd probably have some regulators uh, saying, you know, this is going too far. So it assumed that, uh, you know, there'd be an outcry of fans, why don't I get it, or now I'm switching to uh, uh, satellite TV, which, you know, carries these games. But cable operators who aren't too thrilled with the NFL anyway, they're, they're, they're mad that they don't get to show out-of-market games the way TV does, that those out-of-market games that you, people pay to get Right or on the on satellite, they wanted to. They said, "Well, you know, why don't you let us be investors in the NFL network so we can get some of the returns?" And they've just sort of held steady. And the odd thing is that NFL was in a position of trying to pretend they were victims, which of course is you know ludicrous, given that they're a wash in TV money. And I think the only thing now, you know, cable says, "Well, you know," cable operators say, "Well." we'll take this, but let us get some money back. We'll put it on a pay-per-view basis. We'll put it on a pay tier where people pay extra if they want it. And the NFL said, logically enough, no, just like ESPN would say and other big channels, no, we want it on basic cable so we can get in as many households as possible and, and you know, create this as a real business with real reach. I think at this point, it's not a matter of negotiating or anything else. I think the NFL should just say, okay, we're dropping the price. Um, And if they did it quickly and dramatically enough, they could avoid having another sort of a PR uh, snafu. Because remember, you know, cable operators don't care about people anyway. They're not sort of in business for that. And it's the NFL that that put their own games that they control on this channel, knowing a lot of people wouldn't get them. And NFL fans are used to at least seeing the big game. You know, they might not see every game, unless they have satellite, but they're used to seeing the big games. And the end of the season, you have New England Patriots last weekend against possibly going for a historic perfect season against right. the New York Giants, who might be going for a playoff spot. And uh, they should lower the price, because these negotiations are going nowhere. They're not negotiating about anything anyway.
3: They what do they have, have to lower game. it to, Michael?
0: Well... I think they should go to these cable operators and go and ask them that same question. What do we need to lower this to? Because, you know, at some level, cable operators don't want to give people a reason to switch the satellite. And, uh, you know, it's possible cable operators might say, instead of lowering the price, give us some equity in the NFL network. But whatever it is, you know they need to get in more households and then they need to think what else, what other live stuff they can put on there for people to care about in the off-season. And, you know, they give themselves not only something that might be a profitable network down the road, but also sort of a year-round promotional tool on TV. And uh, they should just say, this didn't work, the pricing was wrong. Um, We have to back down.
3: Don't you think that, You know, I look at what Major League Baseball is doing with their new network that they're going to launch in 2009. And they basically went out and made a deal with the cable companies and gave them an equity stake in the network. And their network's going to debut to 47 million people, which is more people than the NFL network has right now. And they've already been on the air for a while. Don't you think that would have been the best possible play for the NFL if they wanted wide distribution from day one?
0: Yeah, in retrospect, um, that might have been a good idea, but, I mean, it's just the mindset of the NFL when it comes to TV. You know, every time they're about to do new TV deals, the networks go, you know, we lose money on this. It really can't go higher. We'd like to be able to do those, you know, sell uh, sponsorships uh, during the game. You know, this kickoff brought to you by Budweiser. The NFL says no. The rights fees go way up, even though the ratings aren't. And they're just used to getting their way. That they're the one indispensable um, bit of TV programming. So they're thinking, unlike say baseball or virtually well every other sport, was you know we don't have to compromise.
3: So what leverage do they have? As I see it, the only leverage they have besides dropping the price or giving. The cable companies and equity stake is if they say, and, and Jerry Jones has talked about this, well, we have eight games on the NFL network now. Maybe we'll do 16 games next year.
0: Exactly. And, you know, Goodell, the commissioner, says, well, we don't think we can do that under the current contracts, but those games would come from the Sunday afternoon games on CBS and Fox, because after all, ESPN and NBC just have one game per week anyway. and and those networks are really sort of, they can't publicly criticize the NFL, which does their schedules, Um, they're afraid that the NFL one day is going to come up with this loophole. Oh, yeah, we found we can move extra games off if we do something or other. So, yeah, that's kind of looming in the background, but I think that, you know, having this Green uh, Bay-Dallas game, such a big regular season on the NFL network, and cable operators didn't cave they're like go ahead put more games on um you know i think they've they pretty much dug in and said we can live without these
3: yeah i would agree with you our guest is michael He stand he's the sports tv columnist for usa today you can read him at usatoday.com michael you're based in washington dc obviously a huge story this week with the uh, death of sean taylor washington Redskins star his house was uh, burglarized in florida he was shot and killed uh i'd be interested in getting your thoughts on the media coverage of this both in the dc area but also uh nationally
0: um it's funny it's just been wall to wall in washington which um you know was kind of expected because you know the redskins are just even though they've they haven't been very good for years and years, are just so dominant in the Washington area, even though you have an NBA team, you have an NHL team, now a baseball team, you have some pretty good college programs like University of Maryland. The Redskins are just completely dominant. And uh, obviously Taylor was a good player. And um, But I'm a little surprised how much attention it got around the country because, you know, um, you know players are shot sometimes or other things happen to him. And I think part of it was just um, people dealing with stereotypes. In other words, if somebody is at some nightclub at 2 in the morning, people say, well, should he have been there? But the fact that he's, you know, in his own house, in bed, you know, his his toddler daughter nearby and his girlfriend, um, people found that a little bit, you know, he was more of a victim given those basic facts. And what I, I'm a little surprised by is he's had some legal problems of his own in the past, and people are saying he was sort of maturing lately. But, you know, how he got quickly converted into St. John before people know the details, and, you know, if the case is ever solved, and if it turns out that there was something sort of murky to it, um, it will look kind of knee jerk of how the media all agreed he was a great guy. Um, but then again, that happens. Um, there's a, sort of a, a lot of tone of morality when it comes to sports. And uh, I remember way back when it came out that you know, Magic Johnson had tested positive for HIV. There was sort of a 24-hour period of indecision. Should we think of, you know, should we be sympathetic with him, say he's a good guy? Or back then, uh, you know, should we think he had irresponsible behavior? But um, conventional wisdom sort of coalesces pretty quickly, and then everybody's sort of in lockstep about who's good and who's bad in the sports world.
3: Last question. I want to talk to you about the BCS Bowl games that are coming up. Uh, I saw Fox announce this week that Tom Brenneman, Charles Davis, they're going to pair to call both the Sugar Bowl and the BCS National Championship. I think you were the one who broke that news and wrote about that. Uh, give me your thoughts on that pairing and some of the other announcing teams that Fox has uh, assembled for their bowl games.
0: Well, you know, they're in such an unusual situation because, you know, when when CBS, for instance, does the college basketball tournament, they're covering games all, all year long. When ABC used to have the BCS bowls, they were covering games all year Long and, and now Fox does a little bit because they're part owner in that Big Ten network, but they don't really do any other games, so they have to sort of assemble people. Now I think Davis is okay. I don't think Brenneman, who's a Fox baseball announcer, is, you know, outstanding on football. I think that their studio, you know, halftime guys will be better because they've added Jimmy Johnson and Barry Switzer. But you know and and uh, they've sort of diminished the role for Barry Alvarez, who didn't do very well last year, but you know it's a it's a bit cobbled together um last year, they let uh, Howie Long and Terry Bradshaw do a game
3: and I thought uh, they did know, a I, decent
0: job, yeah, they did, and you know it it I think for these games, unless you have enormous powers with big stars, which is not doesn't seem to be the case this year, you know, like it was when they had liner and. Vince Young and right. Texas and USC. Um, it kind of depends on the quality of the game. And, you know, that, that Boise State win last year was terrific. So, well, the, you know, the brand name Boise State might not have brought many viewers. And if it's, you know, Missouri in the title game against West Virginia, those are hardly uh, brand name schools. But because it is the title game, you'll probably have at least some sampling. And then if it's close and exciting, they might end up with a decent
3: number. Michael, why would Fox take Tom Brenneman over Joe Buck, who seems to be their signature sports uh, personality?
0: Yeah, but, you know, they have have the NFL going on right now, and Buck and Aikman were on the lead team. And last year when they first did this, Buck was also on the studio show. And, you know, if you're not used to calling – any sport, you know, college football, you, you do have to do a fair amount of prep time for a play-by-play. You just have to learn all the players. So that would take, so if you're if you if you're on the title game, you'd also do that first BCS game. And it would take them out of the uh, NFL for a while, you know, two, maybe three weekends. And, you know, the NFL is still the the big lead dog on Fox.
3: Right. Well, Michael, it's always great to catch up with you. Happy holidays, and I look forward to catching up with you uh, after the first of the year.
0: Great. Thanks a lot. You too.
3: You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection, not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu, and they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio.
2: One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports. Business Radio.
3: My guest is Charles Robinson. He's Yahoo Sports' NFL reporter. You can read him online at YahooSports.com. Charles, thanks for making time for us this week.
4: No problem at all, Brian.
3: So, Charles, tragic week in the NFL with the death of Washington Redskins star Sean Taylor, who was shot and later died after his home in Miami was burglarized. You wrote a very interesting story this week detailing the rash of burglaries this year where pro athletes have been the victims. From Taylor to NBA players like Antoine Walker and Eddie Curry, pro athletes are seeing their most private of spaces invaded. They're being held at gunpoint, and as we saw this week, it can end very badly. In your opinion, what factors have led to the increase in burglaries involving pro athletes?
4: well you know i think it's a lot of different factors you know you talk to people in in uh, on the high end level of security in the nfl and they'll tell you that you know part of it is visibility the fact that you know nowadays contracts are publicized people typically know what you know, you know what pro football players make and and beyond that you know the, the dispersal of information now is probably greater than it ever has been in history i mean you can go online and if you're smart, if you know what you're doing, you know, you've got a little bit of ingenuity, uh, you can find addresses for players. You can find vehicle information. You can find a, a lot of personal details about, you know, NFL players, really any athletes uh, that they don't typically, you know, want you to know, and whether that is. Um, you know, by using services online, by using some of these private eyes, you know, there are a lot of services where you can get personal information. You know, simply just by having the name and the the, the city that an athlete lives in, uh, you can get phone records. I mean, there's a number of things that you can get, and and some of them not. Legally, but but those services are still offered online. and I think that has to do with uh, part of the problem that the NFL players and, and all pro athletes are having with their security. Um, and, and on top of that, the fact that you know these guys move into neighborhoods with message boards nowadays, um, so many other ways to to kind of proliferate information amongst fans. Uh, not many NFL players can move into a neighborhood now and not have it get out in some way, shape, or fashion into the fan base about you know where someone might be living, what kind of neighborhood, what side of the city, um, maybe you know, street information, things of that nature.
3: I want to talk more about security measures in a moment, but let's talk about Sean Taylor for a second. You know, by most accounts, I've never met Sean Taylor, but by most accounts, here's a young man who had turned his life around. Um, He had a young daughter. He had a girlfriend that he was committed to. Uh, What was your interaction with Sean Taylor, and what kind of a person was he from your vantage point?
4: Well, you know, I've met Sean a couple of times, actually. The last time I talked to him was um, out in Honolulu at the Pro Bowl last February. I um, hadn't had a chance to talk to him in training camp this year. But, uh, you know, from from what I saw, he wasn't, um, you know, he had gotten so much negative publicity coming in the league, had skipped the rookie symposium, had had really gone through several agents uh, before ultimately signing a contract with the Washington Redskins, um, eventually settled on Drew Rosenhaus, um, had had a holdout, had had words uh, with with. Washington Redskins coach Joe Gibbs over a couple of off seasons when he wasn't showing up for team activities in the off season, so he clearly already had a rap as, as a very difficult player to deal with within the NFL. And then there were some highly publicized things off the field, things where you know he was arrested on a weapons charge after. Uh, essentially pulling a gun on on some men that he thought had stolen an ATV from him, but when you, when you talk to him personally one on one, and it's not unlike this with a lot of guys in the NFL who are, are known as troublemakers, he he didn't come off as a bad guy. He didn't come off as um, you know someone that was just an absolute loose cannon. He came off as a young guy uh, with a lot of money who made bad decisions and. You know, the reality is there are a lot of players in the NFL like that. And, and, you know, it's funny, one coach said to me years and years ago, and it's always stuck with me, every young guy who comes into the league and who gets paid a lot of money has a little bit of a knucklehead in them. And it takes a few years for them to grow up, learn how to be a man, how to deal with money, how to deal with people who want your money, and, and let that knucklehead kind of work its way out of, out of you. And I think Sean Taylor was really getting to that stage in his life you know had a had a young child had a girlfriend he was committed to that that he was starting to change the way he handled himself and handled the people around him
3: my guest is Charles Robinson he's Yahoo Sports's NFL reporter you can read him online at yahoosports.com Charles, Denver Broncos player Darren Williams was killed in a drive-by shooting in January. His killer still hasn't been found. University of Miami football player Brian Pata was shot to death in November of 2006, only a few miles from where Sean Taylor was shot this week. His killer hasn't been found. Should we have much hope that law enforcement officials are going to find Taylor's killer, or is is his shooting death going to go unsolved like the rest of them have? I mean, you know, on a side note here, Tupac Shakur was shot in 1996 in Las Vegas in a pretty public area, and his killer hasn't been found yet.
4: A lot of it has to do with the witnesses. I mean, whether or not they're going to get, you know, cooperation um, from key witnesses, people... Uh, you know, the Derrick Williams case, I know that they've arrested a few people in that case. They're relatively sure that they have the shooter in custody, but they've yet to come across someone who's willing to testify and say, yes, this was the trigger man, this is the person that shot up the stretch hummer that Derrick was riding in. You know, you mentioned Brian Potter, There's no leads whatsoever, it seems, in that case. Right. Gone completely cold. And, and this one, you know, the, the tangible witness appears to be his girlfriend who was in the bedroom when when the bedroom door was broken open um, and she was under the covers and so really all she knows is what she heard now uh, beyond that you you wonder if if this is ultimately going to come down to whoever committed this crime admitting it to someone and and that person coming forward and saying, Hey, I know who did this. but uh, at this point, it's the leads and the information that have have information that's come out has been I think almost frustrating, not only for the family, but for members of the Washington Redskins. There's just no clarity who would have done this. You know, there's no, uh, there's different, you've got Antro Roll, who's Sean Taylor's longtime friend, who grew up with him from the age of six years old, played football with him for years, who says, absolutely no way is this random. It had to be someone Sean knew. But then you have the, the authorities excuse me, of the authorities in Dade County saying, no, we believe that this is random. So I think that just leads to even more frustration and at this point. I can tell you all the players I know who who Sean Taylor had touched their lives, they're all extremely frustrated and would like to know in particular exactly what happened that night and, and where the police are taking this investigation.
3: You know, I just have a real hard time believing that a guy has his house broken into twice in eight days and it's random. Right. I, I just don't I don't buy that.
4: And, and there are a lot of players who agree with you. I mean, there are a lot of players who don't see this being, um, you know, that I think there are a lot of guys who look at this and say this was someone coming after him. There's no doubt that, you know, this happens once. Okay, you know, that that's a random occurrence. It happens twice. Someone breaks into your house twice. And then, you know, from the looks of it, comes to find you. And, and really, at this point, it, the police haven't come out and said, well, you know, these items were taken, it's hard to look at it as a burglary if nothing was taken, and if really the the entire act appears to be, you know, to commit some sort of violence against Sean Taylor, it looks like it was a very purposeful thing, and and I have yet to find um, any players who knew Sean and, and who have really, you know, who know the details of this case thus far, who say, well, it just looks like, you know, something bad that happened. No, it looks like someone went to the house for a purpose. And that purpose was to get at Sean Taylor in some way, shape, or fashion. And, uh, you know, so I think that's part of that frustration that we talked about before is, you know, where are the police taking this? Why are they calling it random? And, you know, what evidence have they found that really points toward this being random?
3: Charles, we both talk to athletes pretty regularly, and I think we both agree that – uh, they're already somewhat paranoid as they probably should be, especially after something like this happens. What right. do you? This has got to cause a lot of them to rethink the way that they do their own security, whether it's protecting their houses or having bodyguards. I mean, there's an, a Los Angeles-based company. It's called Safed. And for a million dollars or more, they'll install home security measures, including ballistic grade doors capable of blocking bullets, hidden security cameras and a gas canister system, which drops temporarily debilitating blankets of chemicals. That's the extreme. But don't you think some of these guys are going to change their mindset? They've got lots of money and maybe they're going to rethink how they uh, protect themselves.
4: I think the upper echelon guys, the guys who can afford extra security, absolutely will do it. I mean, remember, you're still talking about a league where there are a lot of guys making the minimum, two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You know, the minimum, even even in the range of you know, incoming rookie minimum to veteran minimums, you're, you're talking about two hundred fifty to five hundred to six hundred thousand dollars a year, and, and that will provide you some level of security, no doubt. But uh, when you talk about the upper end things, the you know people building homes and building elaborate safe rooms into their homes, building, you know, elaborate systems of, you know, not only having, you know, outer walls in your home, but also having animals, also having, you know, internal alarms and things of that nature. I do think when you talk about the upper echelon stars, the guys with, you know, 10,000, 12,000 square foot homes. You know, those are the guys that absolutely I do believe that this is the kind of incident that causes them to go and look and say, you know, how can I beef up my security? Um, They they have every team has a security official. They have their player development programs, and that's what those guys are there for. For when players have concerns like this, they turn to their security guys and say, "What connections do you have? What should I do? What's your advice?" And it's it's the jobs of those security officials to know the community. know individuals in the community, both within their cities and even nationally, and to bring in, you know, those experts to deal with issues like this. Now, it's the lower end guys, the guys who aren't making that kind of money, can't afford those kind of things. I think those guys, um, I've had a chance to talk to the whole array of guys. And it's funny, you you talk to some guys who say... I'm going to get the, you know, security system beefed up on my house. I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm no longer going to be parking my cars outside, you know, things of this nature. You talk to, you know, the guys who live in suburbs, you know, don't have walls around their house. They're talking about, you know, should I buy a gun? You know, I, I should I own dogs? You know, what what are the things that I can do? So I think really on every layer of, you know, financial layer in the NFL, every guy – is looking at how to protect themselves, how to protect their family, and, and really, I think, now recognizing that they're more of a target now than, than they've ever really realized.
3: Last question for you. The Sean Taylor murder this week, it really tops a horrific past 12 months off the field yes. for the oh. NFL. I mean, like we talked, Darren Williams, we've seen the indiscretions of Pac-Man Jones, Tate Johnson, the Michael Vick story with dogfighting, this, you know, on a different scale, the NFL network debacle that happened this week. Yep. Um, how you know the NFL has always been held as the gold standard of all leagues in American sports. How did these uh, stories maybe take them down a notch or two, or has it not taken them down at all?
4: Excuse me. No, I, I think it. I think it definitely has an impact. Now let's let's remember this is the fourth fourth twenty four year old athlete in the NFL to die this calendar year. You know, Marquise Hill drowned. Damien Nash, obviously has the heart attack. We talked about all the other issues that the NFL had to deal with in the offseason. And I talked to a lot of general managers right before training camp, a lot of front office guys. and I said, are you you really just looking forward to getting back to football and putting all of the offseason negativity, the bad things that happened behind you? And they all said yes. And they all said, you know, we just want to get the games here. We want to start playing, talking about what we should be talking about football. And clearly, I think what happened with Sean Taylor – once again, you know, it, it brings back all of those other things. We, we just went from a season where we we're talking about the Patriots and you know, can they run the table and um, you know, possibly seeing the greatest season ever. You're talking about you know, the resurgence after only one season out of the playoffs, the resurgence of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, you know, you're talking about an NFC race that there are going to be so many teams fighting it out in the final weeks of the season to grab the wild card in the NFC. And now you're once again talking about, you know, the death of an NFL player, um, security issues, you know, Michael Vick's trial, obviously the the sentencing date is coming up. So it it does It takes some of that luster away from the NFL. I I think ultimately it's a league that always has gone through the bumps and bruises, or at least, you know, the last couple of decades has gone through the bumps and bruises and been able to come out on the other side and, and spin it in a positive way. And I guarantee you that's the stance that the NFL is taking right now, that they're going to have you know, what is really a somber moment in the league this week and and surely in the ensuing weeks as as this investigation continues into Sean Taylor's death. But eventually I think they feel like it will refocus back to the positive things that are going on in the league, the football games. Eventually the Super Bowl will be here and everyone will be talking about that. So the league gets through it, but... um, no doubt in my mind, this is has to be. When you talk about 2007, from January 1st, you know 2007 to de, you know to the end of December in 2007, the roughest 12 months I can ever imagine the NFL going through.
3: Yeah, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell has certainly had a, a bumpy and challenging ride since he took over from uh, Paul Tagliabue. Charles, happy holidays. Thanks for joining us. Guests appearing during our Sports and segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses. Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere for the Mortons nearest you. Go online to mortons.com. Again, Charles, happy holidays, and uh, thanks for making time for us this week.
4: Absolutely. Thanks for having me on, Brian. Call me anytime.
3: Thank you very much. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training monitoring and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com.
2: This is Sports Business Radio.
3: Brian Berger, Nathan Roach, back with you for our final segment. Nathan, it's the holiday season, and the Diamondbacks next season plan to award free season tickets to at least 12 families experiencing financial hardships. Depending on a family's circumstances, the team may also contribute concessions, parking, or transportation relief in addition to the tickets. You can go to uh, azdiamondbacks.com between now and and December 15th to nominate a family that you feel is worthy to receive these season tickets. I think it's a great
1: gesture. Oh, it's, it's a great gesture. And just a couple weeks ago, I was talking about how families can no longer afford to go to sporting events because they've gotten so expensive, and kids can't grow up anymore and go to ball games with their dad. And I think this is a fantastic opportunity to let lower, uh, lower income people go to games.
3: Well, and not only are they kicking in the tickets, but my lord, they're giving the concessions, the parking, and the
1: transportation. I mean, which is like more than the tickets half the time. Yeah, it
3: really is. I mean, how many times have you gone, well, I don't know if I want to go to that concert or that game because I'm going to have to pay 40 bucks
1: to park? Or, we talked about it this weekend with the Davis Cup. Where, where are we going to park? How should we get there? Because you know they're going to charge $15, 20 just to park.
3: Well, and I got to go to Billy Joel last weekend here in Portland. Uh, I sat in Blazers owner Paul Allen's suite, and I was in there with Blazers GM Kevin Pritchard and Mike Golub, who's my friend and the chief operating officer for the Blazers, And uh, I rode over to the arena with Mike Golub because he's got uh, the all-access pass, and uh, I didn't want to have to worry about parking. I know people are going to write me and say, "Burger, you're really a cheap dude. Lots of thank yous on the show. Michael Heastan from USA Today, Charles Robinson from Yahoo, our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, Joe Vaughn, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Morton's The Steakhouse, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center, ProTrade.com and Sockeye, Inc. Visit our new interviews page on our website. Go to SportsBusinessRadio.com. Click on the audio page. Also, a reminder that we're unveiling our Sports Business Radio's top 20 sports headlines of the year during our shows during the weekend of December 22nd and 23rd, and then December 29th and 30th. If you have a Sports Business Radio headline you'd like us to consider, drop us a note at info at sportsbusinessradio.com. I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week. We'll talk to you next weekend.